0: In this episode, our friend Wayne Jett is back with us and we're continuing to discuss his book, The Fruits of Graph." We're going right through the Great Depression and right up to about World War II. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. We have our friend Wayne Jett on with us again today as a continuation of the, the uh episodes that we've done we've done two. this is the third episode in a in a kind of telling the story prior to uh the great depression leading right up to the great depression and hopefully we'll be able to go past the great depression maybe not in this episode um and i'm and i'm happy and i appreciate you wayne for taking your time and and making this happen even participating here and i think that our last um, episode we're really coming up to about 1901 Um, is about where we left off. And so if we'd continue from there going into the Great Depression, that's what I'm thinking. All
1: right. Thank you very much, James, and nice to be back with you. Uh, I love talking about this subject. Uh, It's not pleasant at many times, but uh, nevertheless, I do so in order to, uh, uh, it really is for the purpose. uh, Yes, it's important that we understand what happened back then so that we judge fairly the efforts of our ancestors and uh, understand better what they experienced and uh, why their lives turned out the way they did. Uh, We talked about the 1901 plan already, uh, and it's uh, really outrageously uh, harmful intentions uh, toward the people, uh, toward the working people, anyone uh, capable of supporting himself and his family. That's the middle class. Uh, not just people of middle income, but uh, of high income if they earn it, um, if they work for it. Low income, if the, even if they're in the, in the poor area, they're middle class if they're supporting themselves. Uh, just so they're not slaves, uh, servants uh, uh, on the handout for somebody else. Uh, everyone else is middle class. Important to recognize because uh, those are the people of common interest that uh, in effect are the view that uh, you do the best you can and, uh, uh, and you can do better and uh, keep improving your families and your outlook. Uh, so uh, let's look at uh, what happened uh, as we get on uh, uh, 1913. Uh, two very bad things happened, both of them breaches of the promises made on the campaign trail by the candidate uh, Woodrow Wilson Uh, president of of, uh, Princeton University, by the way. Uh, That was his uh, academic uh, standing and his basis for uh, getting into politics. President of a major uh, uh, premier, uh, uh, so-called highly reputable uh, academic institution. Uh, But uh, as soon as he got into office, he broke uh, two important promises. He had promised not to sign a tax on earned income. Earned income being the uh, hallmark of the middle class. You earn income by working for it. Uh, he said he wouldn't uh, agree to a an income tax. And uh, not only did he agree to one, uh, it was a progressive income tax with uh, different rates for different earning levels. And uh, he signed that into law uh, right at the end of 1913. Uh, the other thing that he had promised is no uh, central bank uh, owned by the uh, the rich, the elite, the, the, what we call today the global cabal, and he uh, signed that too. That was the Federal Reserve, misnamed uh, in order to mislead people, to make them think that it's a part of the federal government. It never has been. It never uh, will be, uh, and yet so many people, educated people, uh, absolutely insists still today that the federal reserve is an agency of the federal government and very uh, much uh, aligned with the well-being of uh, ordinary people and uh, uh, our government representatives and so forth. It is effectively a Rothschild bank. Uh, uh, all of its uh, financial operations are really run by the federal reserve bank of New York, uh, which is uh, owned and controlled by the wall street banks uh, they are the majority stockholders uh, even among the majority stockholders is basically is the rothschild family that is has control of the federal reserve and it operates without being uh, audited ever uh, it runs its own operations they are secret we know know what they do they put out a bunch of data we have no way of knowing whether it's accurate or inaccurate And of course, even in these recent days and months, uh, uh, here we are in uh, 2020, uh, they are uh, appearing to be in the last phases of this fiat currency. They are putting out uh, uh, truckloads (laughs) full of uh, currency. Uh, I mean, that's not even adequate to uh, describe what's being done right now, but we won't go into that. Uh, but that's what he did. Um, he was, uh, Wilson was, even though the cloth coat uh, candidate, uh, he was uh, a willing accomplice of the global elite. Uh, perhaps he had better intentions. He said that he did. He said he regretted his actions in doing those things, but he did them. He also uh, uh, got us into World War I, put American men over, uh, to be slaughtered along with the European men, uh, all a uh, plot of the global elite to destroy as many uh, males as possible of the middle class, uh, so forth and so on.
0: You know, um, I must, I must. If I can interject here, Wayne. Additionally, in 2013, I believe it was the 17th Amendment. Where prior to twenty thirteen or nineteen thirteen prior to nineteen thirteen the sen the senators the national the congressional house the senate the senators were appointed by the state houses right? yes and, and yes. so uh that changed i think it's the seventeenth amendment that now senators became elected you know on a national scale you know so it's a broad they became, uh, whatever you call they, they they just run for office on a national level.
1: Well, yes, they do. Uh, they run for office actually on the state level. Uh, the senators. Uh, uh, yeah, they're but, elected. But they're elected directly by the people of the state yeah. statewide as right. opposed to uh, having to answer to. The political uh, people, uh, the legislature of the state that has to pay the bills for the state and look out after the state's interests and so forth.
0: So uh, that further consolidated power in Washington, diminishing the power from the states and transferring that power to yes. the national federal government. So, in
1: large part, it made those state senators the, the, the U.S. senators. Uh, subject to uh, complete control and influence uh, by the central money powers, uh, the Wall Street people could buy every senator, uh, as opposed to uh, having senators uh, uh, watched closely by their state legislatures. And if they got to looking after other interests or uh, things that uh, hurt the state, uh, then their reins could be pulled in and they could be replaced by the state legislatures. Uh, so yes, that is another important aspect of things.
0: I would uh, also like to say that you cannot have a world war without a central bank. And so it is within six or eight months of creating the Federal Reserve, a central bank, that World War I began. I right. mean, what, what timing? It's like, oh, it's just, what a quinkening.
1: Yes, and, uh, and certainly it uh, fit in with the 1901 plan that we talked about last time. Uh, it was the plan overall, uh, not to repeat what I've already said, but it was the plan to destroy the middle class completely and also to reduce human population uh, sharply uh, to get to the point by the year 2000 that they could poison all of the people they didn't want, that need to develop the technology and the capability for doing that uh, in a controlled way so that the people couldn't get out of hand and uh, discover them and uh, fight back and so forth. Uh, Yes, that was a part of the plan. And uh, if you uh, put the entire 20th century into that uh, uh, context, uh, then so many events, Uh, turn out to be uh, uh, extremely uh, reflective of that 1901's plan to destroy the middle class and to go back to a two-class system uh, comprised only of the global elite and their servants, uh, their slaves.
0: So we shouldn't look around at what's going on, what has been going on in our lifetimes and the lifetimes of our parents and even our grandparents and be overly shocked. Right. And
1: uh, we could tie it right into what's happening today in the cities of our country uh, and who's doing it. Uh, it's uh, very much in that vein. Uh, the the primary difference, uh, I'll just get to this and then we'll go back to uh, the uh, earlier part of the 20th century. Uh, but uh, uh, the events we're experiencing today, all the, all the so-called controversy, in my uh, uh, humble opinion, uh, we have a president for the first time who is actually uh, capable uh, and has the backing of our military and a substantial part of our executive branch in order to be able to actually fight these people instead of being completely their servants and carrying out their 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 uh, uh, policies and uh, and their goals of uh, exterminating. Uh, really the, the central uh, population of the United States. Praise God. Uh, and not He's only the United answer. States, other countries as well. You can see that, uh, that what is happening in the United States now is largely reflective of the same thing that's been happening in the last uh, 10 to 20 years in Europe. Uh, with, uh, uh, we got lots of news of all of the immigrants from the Middle East wars going into Europe and their so-called taking them in the European Union, uh, uh, even though the people there were uh, strongly objecting to it. Well, the difference between Europe, the European Union and the United States during that same period of time is that our newspapers were not uh, reporting what was being done in our country. And the same kind of importing of those uh, uh, people from the war-torn countries into the United States Uh, was going on uh, in grand scale uh, night flights uh, to various cities uh, in the united states uh, of untold numbers of people who uh, were not uh, ordinary immigrants Uh, they were people being imported in order to greatly change the landscape political landscape uh, and political views of people living within the united states Uh, okay so let's go back and talk about uh, where we were uh, as we wound up on uh, World War One, with the great killings uh, of uh, so many hundreds of thousands, actually millions of uh, soldiers in the worst circumstances, weeding out uh, the young men of uh, reproductive age, keeping them away from their uh, uh, wives and uh, children, uh, destroying them by, by the millions and uh, and yet, uh, even that uh, awful thing, which I detail in the numbers, uh, they're just absolutely staggering uh, in uh, the fruits of graft. Uh, that was disappoint- disappointing to the ruling elite. Uh, they viewed it as uh, somewhat of a failure and a, uh, uh, a, an experience that saying, we just can't get rid of enough humans this way we have to find a more efficient way of doing it. But nevertheless, we come back uh, from 1918, uh, uh, the close of the war, we have the influenza that kills uh, tens of millions more people around the world, uh, including more people in America than we lost in all of our wars put together. Uh, All of it done uh, quite certainly by a laboratory pre- prepared uh, virus or whatever it was, uh, that, uh, killed very, uh, uh, astonishingly. It didn't kill the old so much. It killed people in the uh, prime of their lives, young, virile people, uh, childbearing age. And, uh, uh, it did so within two, three, four days of their contracting this thing. And so, uh um, Uh, That is the kind of uh, circumstance that we came to at the end of the 1920s. And uh, we did so uh, uh, in a circumstance in which the income tax had been increased during the war. Mm -hmm. Um, The war was winding down and uh, the country was trying to get back to work. Uh, But uh, they did so in a circumstance in which they declared the value of the dollar uh, after the war was over, they declared it to go back to the same valuation that it had at the beginning of the war. And uh, during the war, uh, the dollar had been devalued quite a lot, uh, maybe as much as, uh, well, if sharply, uh, I would say maybe as much as 50%. Uh, that's, that's quite a lot. I would say probably more in the nature of perhaps 25% that was done uh, that happened because there was a an embargo on shipments of gold out of the country and so the dollar's value had dropped uh, during that period of time in other words we had some inflation during the war and uh, so coming out in in the 1920s uh wilson got ridden out of town on a rail uh, practically uh, the republicans won uh, in 1920 by going back to normalcy Uh, That was understood as a campaign promise of the Republicans uh, to cut taxes, the income tax rates back to where they were uh, before the war. But um, by going back to the dollar's value before the war, $20.67 an ounce of gold, uh, it meant we had a sharp, short deflation uh, right when the Republicans got into office. Uh, And so, uh, we had a deflation uh, that caused a, uh, a a sharp recession but it lasted only about a year a little more uh the uh, republican president uh his, his name is escaping me right this second uh, but uh, he died suddenly in his i think his second year in office uh on a train trip and uh uh, probably uh, from uh, uh, an assassination, but I can't, uh, I don't think the historical records are, are clear enough, at least not to me, uh, to know for certain. Uh, but uh, when he died, his vice president, Calvin Coolidge, from the, one of the New England states, um, became president, and lo and behold, uh, even though he is derided today as being silent cow to do nothing president, uh, he was uh, uh, probably the most supply side, in other words, classical economics president that we had in the 20th century. Uh, uh, he gave, uh, I think, the best speech I've seen given by a politician, certainly by a president. Uh, on economic policy to the New York uh, Stock Exchange Club or something of that sort uh, in 1923. And essentially it was supply side economics as uh, they called it during the Reagan years personified. In other words, he uh, he made the, the pitch that uh, we can have greater economic growth if we reduce taxes and if we can cut taxes We'll have economic growth, we'll start growing, and we'll grow even faster and faster as we go, uh, making tax cuts as we go. He wanted a larger tax cut immediately, but Congress wouldn't agree to it. Even the Republicans uh, uh, didn't give him enough help uh, in the House and Senate. So he was able to negotiate a, uh, a minor tax cut, but at least a tax cut in the first year. Uh, What he did is he didn't go wild with spending and uh, he produced a surplus in the treasury budget in the first year. And instead of spending that money as a surplus uh, to so-called stimulate the economy the way the Keynesians insist uh, we must do, he plowed it back into more tax cuts. They cut taxes every year he was in office after that. And he had a, a budget surplus every year And uh, we had the boom that developed in the 1920s, including the stock market uh, boom, based upon that uh, uh, economic performance. He had high employment, increasing employment, increasing prosperity. Uh, It was classical economic theory personified. uh, And he comes to 1928 as the most popular president in a, a long time, if not in history, uh, and bound to be uh, re-elected in a landslide, uh, but look, so-called he chose not to run. Uh, now, why would that be? Uh, it might be because uh, his uh, son, uh, still I think in his teenage years, uh, was at the White House uh, playing tennis, played tennis, and dropped dead in the White House uh, shortly thereafter uh, of an unexplained reason. Uh, So we don't know whether uh, that was a hit, Uh, but nevertheless, whatever it was, uh, President Coolidge decided he would not run again. And uh, even though his party had tried right up to almost the bitter end uh, to get him to run, uh, he still declined to do it. And uh, the man uh, who was elected instead, Herbert Hoover, Hoover, I might tell you that he was described by uh, President, uh, well, let me back up just a second. Before he described by uh, President Coolidge, I'll tell you that uh, Hoover had been a world-class engineer, become wealthy that way, supposedly. And then he was put in charge by Wilson of the relief effort uh, to Europe uh, toward the ends of the war. He became very popular politically and he was highly thought of in the public but uh, as of 1920, he was trying to run on the Democrat ticket uh, with, uh, theater, with uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, so he's not the so-called rock-ribbed Republican uh, conservative that uh, everyone uh, seems to think of him as today. Uh, he was um, uh, by no means that. He was a Mr. Fix-It. Uh, in fact, Coolidge, uh, President Coolidge had described him uh, Uh, belonged toward 1928 or close to it and described him as a man who's given he he, by the way got a a position as uh, Secretary of Commerce in the Coolidge administration and uh, was in that position all during the 20s and uh, Coolidge later described him as uh, he's been a man who's given me uh, unsolicited advice for the last six or eight years all of it bad
0: yeah, uh, and yet, there's there's a whole history on uh, yeah. Herbert Hoover that most people don't know or not aware of the Belgian Relief Fund, and right. he made tons of money, tons of money. I consider him just an absolute water boy for the the elite, but right,
1: and uh, and yet he comes into office, uh, his popularity was such that people thought he was the best uh, equipped president uh, elect ever. And he comes into office and he immediately starts getting rolled by the Democratic opposition and allows himself to be. When he had no reason to do it, uh, he actually had, I think, Republican majorities at least to start with uh, in uh, uh, 1929. And yet uh, the Congress comes together and they start this thing on the the tariffs. Um, He had plenty of votes uh, that he could have stopped the tariffs with just a word. He never uh, opened his mouth about it uh, uh, to really oppose it effectively and until it was uh, too late. And even then when it was passed, it passed by only three votes and he could have changed that many with just asking a couple of Republicans uh, to, to change their votes. Uh, he could certainly have stopped it by uh, a veto and he didn't. Uh, so he was uh, carrying the water for Uh, the ruling elite, and uh, he signed that Smoot-Hawley tariff bill, of course, after the crash of 1929. He signed it in June of uh, 1930, and within a year and a half, in other words, the end of 31, uh, we had uh, over 30% unemployment. Uh, We had uh, dropped in both imports and exports by about 69% each, uh, 69, 70%. Uh, So it was an absolute uh, disaster in terms of policy. Uh, And yet he did nothing uh, to, uh, uh, he could have easily uh, reversed it or something of the sort when it turned out to be such a mess. Uh, He did nothing uh, about the fraud on Wall Street. The fraud on Wall Street is what is today is called naked short selling. Uh, it was a planned crash in 1929. It was widely believed to have been done by stock manipulation and basically selling fake shares. They called it watering the stock then. But uh, the, the operators on Wall Street would sell stock they didn't own in millions of shares and drive the stock down to nothing, uh, frightening people and panicking the market and then they would buy it back uh, the next day at the very low prices, make millions faster than they possibly could in any kind of economic growth. Uh, That's why Wall Street loves a crash. They make their millions and billions much faster uh, in a crash than they do uh, during prosperity and a generally slow rise in the economy. Uh, So that's what we were experiencing then. Uh, Hoover did nothing about either of those things. And so uh, by the end of 31, as I said, we had very high unemployment, uh, uh, no uh, trade internationally, no ability to sell abroad, um, and we're buying nothing either. Uh, uh, Factories were being liquidated. uh, People were afraid to invest uh, in new businesses. uh, And so they were buying gold to try to protect the uh, purchasing power because uh, Roosevelt was leaking that uh, he would uh, devalue the dollar. Uh, And so that was the circumstance uh, uh, going into 32 in the campaign. And what did Hoover propose as his campaign theme for uh, going into 32? He proposed we've got to raise taxes in order to balance the budget. Uh, So uh, the Democrats had taken over uh, the House in 30, 1930 uh, in a sweeping turnaround, and uh, so in 1930, uh, uh, in 31, they uh, quadruple and uh, increase the coverage of the number of people in the lowest bracket, and they and they uh, triple the highest bracket. So the, the lowest bracket went from 1% and included a lot more income, uh, lower level income. Uh, and it went to 4%. Uh, the top bracket, uh, Hoover had gotten, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Coolidge had gotten down to a maximum of uh, 25% from a much higher rate uh, during World War I. And, uh, uh, so in, uh, in 32, the top rate went to almost 75%, triple. Uh, And uh, that had to be paid retroactively with no withholding taxes. Uh, All of it due on March 15th, which is exactly when we had the run on the banks. Uh, That is the so-called run on the banks and the loss of faith in the banks. In large part, simply reflected people taking their money out of the banks to pay all of this income tax that Hoover had so uh, brilliantly come up with as his platform for getting reelected. and of course he was uh, ridden out of town on a rail uh, uh, politically speaking, uh, losing in a landslide to uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Although Roosevelt was speaking out of both sides of his mouth, uh, Roosevelt gave uh, speeches to the elite both at the Union Club in San Francisco and at the, in New York. Uh, telling them that uh, um, in effect between uh, you and me, our economy had grown much too large uh, we have uh, we will never be able to employ the kind of people we've employed in the past. we much downsize to the kind of economy that works best for our country and so uh, therefore uh, there will be uh uh, st- uh, stringent uh actions taken in order to correct this uh that's not what he was telling the people he was supposedly the man of the people uh, out on the train whistle stops and uh, at the same time he was speaking out of both sides of his mouth so uh, I, uh he comes into office and uh, uh then uh, starts his uh, first of uh, four terms although the last one uh Uh, was shortened on the Roosevelt's part and uh, Truman took over for the last part of uh, the fourth term but let's talk about what was done in the first two terms it was absolutely remarkable Uh, beginning in March of 33 the actions taken uh, could not have been more cunning and destructive in terms of uh, Uh, greatly worsening the economic position of the people in the country. Uh, And I want to uh, be sure and try to just summarize these things. I could take a a full hour on uh, describing them, but uh, I'll I'll hit the first one in particular. Well, first he was elected to undo those three things that uh, Hoover had done He did the reverse on each one of them Uh, on the stock fraud uh, that caused the crash. It was still going on and was still ripping off uh, people off uh, in the stock exchange, the the naked short selling as a call today, Uh, the the selling fake stock. Uh, Instead of doing something to actually make that a crime. First, they passed a bill in 33 that uh, made stock fraud a crime but it had no penalty and it didn't define what it was. So in 34, they came back and did the Stock Exchange Act to supposedly govern the exchanges. And uh, they set up uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, as the exclusive regulator and policeman of the stock exchanges and stock trading. Uh, And who did he put in charge of the SEC as his first uh, chairman? Uh, None other than the uh, biggest, uh, believed to be the biggest swindler uh, on Wall Street during the crash, and certainly during much of the 20s, uh, Joseph P. Kennedy. Uh, uh, And uh, uh, he was there at the SEC just long enough to hire its permanent staff. Uh, get those people in office and then replace himself, uh, so he could go on with his uh, uh, money-making ways. And uh, and also on uh, Roosevelt's right hand uh, and uh, whispering in his ear as the, uh, the years went on. Uh, that was uh, 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 what he did in terms of the stock fraud on taxes rather than cutting back the taxes as he had indicated he would Uh, back to where they were uh, under uh, Coolidge, he uh, raised and or added new taxes every year he was in office, except for one year, 1939. Uh, He did not raise them that year only because his request for increases and added new taxes was uh, turned down by his Democrat-led house of representatives because they had lost 83 seats in the 1938 elections because by then the american people were calling it roosevelt's depression Uh, that's uh the fact of the matter and um he insisted all year long that he uh, would not sign a tax cut and in fact he didn't sign a tax cut even though the house and the senate passed it it was a meager tax cut Uh, but it became law only because he didn't veto it. Uh, He let it become law without his signature. Uh, His hallmark was higher taxes, higher taxes, more taxes, more taxes. Uh, So a a complete double cross of the people who had put him in office uh, expecting a tax cut. Uh, That was one of the policies that he followed. But let me get uh, to Of what I think is uh, the overriding uh, symbol uh, of—I could talk about the tariffs. Uh, Yes, tariffs has shut down world trade, and it was a substantial factor. Um, And he he appointed a secretary of state who was strongly in favor of cutting the tariffs, Cordell Hull. Uh, Cordell Hull immediately upon his appointment organized a world conference in London to negotiate reduced tariffs and at the brink of time in the summer of 1933 they were ready to sign the deals cutting tariffs uh, back to uh, allowing uh, trade again and uh, Roosevelt himself uh, did a radio speech from Washington Uh, declaring that he would never agree to fix the value of the dollar relating to gold. That is, he would not uh, agree not to devalue the dollar and everyone in international trade at that time knew (coughs) and well well understood that if you devalue your your currency, it's just like raising tariffs. It allows you to have a selling advantage against your uh, trading partners or competitors and therefore it made uh, any agreement on tariffs meaningless. And so in effect, as the newspaper headline bannered the next day, FDR torpedoed the tariff negotiations. And so the lock on tariffs uh, stayed in place and um, everybody went away mad at the United States for what he had done to those negotiations. And so uh, that's where he double-crossed there. So tariffs, taxes, uh, fraud on the stock markets, he did everything exactly the opposite of what he had indicated in this campaign. Uh, And now let's see what else he did. Immediately, as soon as he got into office, uh, he ordered that gold be surrendered to the US Treasury for $20.67 an ounce. So uh, all of the savings that uh, the manufacturers and so forth who had had to liquidate had put into gold uh, and had it in there for a year or two. Um, they had to turn in that gold for the same thing they paid for it, $20.67 an ounce. They made nothing on it. Uh, he got all the gold in uh, by the end of the year. And on January 31st of 34, So a month after he got the gold in, he devalued the dollar uh, by about uh, round numbers 40%. And um, uh, all of that profit, which would have been about a close to 70% profit for the people who had had the gold, if he had devalued the dollar before he confiscated it. I know the people in the country didn't get it, the people who had had their savings in it to try to save it from devaluation didn't get a dime. It all went into the federal government. And more specifically, uh, all of those uh, billions of dollars that he collected in that uh, devaluation went into a secret fund called the uh, Exchange Stabilization Fund, uh, which was set up secretly with powers of complete control over that money and complete control over its own activities and made exempt from all federal laws passed by Congress. Uh, It's still that way today, to the best of my understanding. And it's a very powerful secret force, uh, very much of the nature that the Vatican uh, and uh, the city of London is uh, a part of the uh, apparatus of the global elite. Uh, so uh, that was the matter of the way gold was taken out of the economy. And the dollar, in effect, was really made a fiat currency at that time because uh, even though the so called gold standard was kept with regard to other countries, it meant the central banks of other countries, which were all owned by the global cabal, uh, the Rothschilds uh, primarily, and other major families of that nature. So the only ones able to buy gold from the treasury were those other central banks. They were able to buy the dollar, buy gold for $35 an ounce all the way up to 1972. Uh, but Americans could not. And of course, uh, by 1972, all of those central banks uh, uh, had bought all the gold from the, that had been bought by Roosevelt. I'm about to tell you what he did. But uh, what he did to really make the depression happen is that he immediately started buying gold on foreign exchange with tax money and with mortgage money uh, or bond money, selling bonds into the uh, US uh, capitalists and getting money for the government and putting it directly into gold and uh, taking that gold and sequestering it in the treasury and prohibiting it from being monetized, as was had been required by the gold standard, that if you have gold, uh, the government is responsible for monetizing it so its people will have the money reflected by its gold to spend so they can be more prosperous. But instead of doing that, he sucked all the money out of the uh, American economy. He did so, so effectively that uh, uh, the uh, purchasing power or the prices of goods and services had effectively fell to uh, between uh, two and five cents per dollar uh, by the end of the 30s. Uh, That is the severe level of deflation that he created by taking dollars out of the economy, leaving so many fewer dollars in the US economy for people to work for and to earn, that's what crashed the prices. That's what starved people to death by the millions uh, during uh, the 1930s. Um, And uh, on that point, uh, the best two social, uh, um, social studies that I've seen, social sciences, Uh, One done by a Russian, one done by a German. I think the German social scientists concluded that about three million at least had died of starvation in the United States. The Russian study uh, concluded six million had died by starvation. I suspect it's much more. Uh, There were many more things that were not reported, did not get on the rolls, so forth and so on. And certainly the people of America uh, did not take pride in the fact of uh, announcing themselves to be starving uh, or that they were dying of starvation. Uh, many would not have been uh, picked up and reported as anything other than people died, uh, unknown causes or something of the sort. Uh, but uh, in any event, those were the circumstances that were created. I could go into the uh, various uh, social programs that were so-called window dressing, but that's all they were. Uh, during those first eight years of Roosevelt's presidency, that would be 1933 through 1940, he bought a total of 13,185.3 metric tons of gold on foreign exchange. That's how much he took out of the U.S. economy's uh, money supply. Uh, taking it out uh, uh, so uh, there could be nothing other than a tremendously sharp, hard, uh, cruel uh, depression. Uh, destruction of uh, food to so-called get prices up. When he knew what he was doing was uh, at taking uh, money out of the Economy. Um, uh, the, uh, in 1937, for example, he got early in 37, he got uh, news from somebody, someone tipped him off from the ruling elite that uh, the treasury had received $7 billion in gold uh, on foreign exchange from the European countries primarily. It appears to me that was because uh, war was coming and people were, ca- uh, were uh, uh, selling out their factories in Europe, uh, taking the money, converting them to dollars. Uh, and that, that basically caused uh, gold to come in. Uh, and uh, Roosevelt contacted his treasury secretary, Morgenthau and told him that this was uh, hot money coming in and action had to be taken to make sure that it did not disrupt our economy and it had to be uh, restricted from being monetized. The gold coming into the treasury and the gold standard requiring it to be monetized, Roosevelt was saying, no, 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 we cannot do that. It would hurt our economy in the long run. Uh, Morgenthau's diary indicates he didn't agree with that, but he talked with the Federal Reserve The Federal Reserve chairman, uh, appointed by Roosevelt, didn't agree with it either, said it wouldn't be a good idea. In fact, he wrote a. He wound up arguing for some weeks and then writing a strong letter saying, no, this would be bad for the economy. We need to have the monetization and so forth. But uh, Roosevelt convened a meeting, uh, brought the the head of the Fed and uh, his Morgenthau, the Treasury Secretary, in and basically uh, buttonholed them. And, uh, of course, the Fed rolled over, agreed, as I'm sure they were all on the same uh, page anyway. Uh, and Morgenthau says he wasn't, that he was for monetization. But nevertheless, it wound up that they did not monetize that $7 billion in gold, uh, which would have been a tremendous shot. It doesn't sound like much today. That was a very large shot in the arm if they had monetized it back then. Uh, But not only did they not monetize that, Morgenthau reported in his diary that once they had written the regulations, they they demonetized not only the gold that came in from Europe, they demonetized gold that the treasury had bought from U.S. mines. Uh, So there was absolutely no excuse whatsoever not to, modify, not to monetize not to monetize domestic related uh, domestically produced gold but nevertheless they did it to make certain uh, no money got into the economy so that prices would rise and his uh, ruling elite people could not buy oil properties and uh, real estate and uh, buildings and homes and so forth and so on uh, at this completely Uh, destroyed uh, pricing level uh, that uh, was created uh, deliberately by Franklin Roosevelt uh, and his uh, uh, global cabal. Uh, So that's the circumstance of uh, how the, uh, that's only the tip of the iceberg though. uh, There were other actions taken through the Fed, for example, to increase the bank reserves, the as soon as uh, appointees of Roosevelt had g- control of the Federal Reserve, uh, they were given control of the bank regulation. And they, their first board meeting, they uh, increased reserve requirements of regular banks, even though the banks weren't in trouble by then, at that point, they increased their reserve requirements by 50%. And uh, that required loans to be foreclosed on homes and uh, on farms, uh, especially by small banks. And uh, even if you were paying your loans on time, you're getting foreclosed. People sold out and uh, selling their farms and homes for nothing to the big uh, ag conglomerates that, that we've now seen producing our our food uh, uh, with the kind of uh, health problems that has resulted in uh, over the years. Uh, In any event, that uh, is a kind of a thumbnail about uh, uh, the kinds of things that went on, but uh, certainly um, all that we've experienced uh, uh, in this so-called stock market reform, it was all a fake. Uh, The fraud continued all the way through. It still is. The SEC has been absolutely praised for being such a stellar law enforcement agency as the FBI has been. And yet uh, it is so shameful to see the kinds of things that have been actually done by those agencies um, that are simply... Uh, blatant big lies in terms of uh, their the malfeasance in office of the people occupying those agencies. I can go into that uh, if you want me to at this point, but uh, uh,
0: you you know you can if you like. I I must say Wayne that I had no idea how many Americans were purposely starved to death. No idea. I had not. I had no understanding of uh, the demonetization of the gold, the sterilization of the gold, sterilizing the gold, taking it out of the economy. And, and I agree that it's just a thumbnail what we're covering here. And your book goes into extraordinary detail on the intent, the purpose, the method, um, the, the methods that were used to really destroy the middle class and the economy. I mean, it's just. Well,
1: I uh, might say that uh, just within the last year or two, can't remember the exact date, but I there was a headline on Zero Hedge uh, one day uh, saying that uh, central banks of the world are buying gold as if uh, there's going to be a nuclear bomb dropping tomorrow. Mm hmm. Uh, And uh, I looked into the numbers that they were depending upon to say that. And uh, the numbers, uh, the tonnage of gold being bought by all central banks in the world combined uh, in the last year or two uh, is minuscule in comparison to the yearly purchases of Roosevelt between 1933 and 1940. Uh, th- they don't even stack up in terms of uh, uh, in other words during those years in which he was starving people to death uh, he was buying more gold than all central banks in the world in nineteen uh, 2018 uh, uh, were buying combined and doing it out of money coming directly out of the U.S. economy by his hand now uh, um, uh, please uh, take that into consideration when you understand that neither our academic institutions, nor our newspapers, nor our television uh, stations, or, nor uh, even our politicians is saying this anywhere in America today. And yet this is the fact. Uh, these are, uh, uh, we are still being told blatant lies by the controlling uh, powers in our country. And I believe that is exactly the the reason why we have to be enlightened about them so that we can understand what is going on presently, the attacks on our president and the attacks on uh, trying to get our government back into influence and control by the people themselves before they actually destroy us, uh, as was uh, on their timeline for the 2016 election, uh, if it hadn't uh, gone the wrong way for them. Uh, So that is, uh, uh, I'll pause and let you redirect the conversation (laughs) any way you'd like, James. Uh, You
0: know, I I appreciate that, Wayne. I mean, that's very powerful and And I'm okay to, uh, you know, get to a stopping point in this episode. I mean, that's extremely powerful. We're almost an hour into it, so... Oh, goodness.
1: Um, I I didn't realize we'd gone so long, or I had gone so long. uh, I must apologize for that, but in any event... No, not necessary. uh, We can get on to other things. I wasn't quite sure whether I had already covered this uh, in our uh, previous two talks, uh, but um, I, I certainly and not uh, reluctant to get into these ins and outs because they are so pivotal in our understanding what has gone on since then. Uh, These things did not stop with Franklin Roosevelt's death. Uh, We have had uh, repeated experiences all the way through with the subsequent presidents uh, either being rolled or being complete uh, puppets of the same kind of uh, global cabal. And uh, it's done uh, devastating things. Uh, my book uh, covers uh, the tech crash in detail as to how it was done. Of course, it does, uh, covers the, the 29 crash, which was, by the way, uh, described in 1938 by an operative uh, of the ruling elite as a more the crash was de- defined in 1929, October twenty nine as the most important event of the revolution of the uh, uh, 20th century, the real revolution, he said. And uh, that would have been an, another way of saying, this was more revolutionary than the depo- the, uh, the murder of the czar in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Russian Tsar was uh, kidnapped and murdered because he refused to give the Rothschilds a uh, central bank there. Uh, And so they invaded that country with the so-called Bolsheviks, uh, which uh, have an awful lot in common, I think, with the the so-called Antifa people uh, trying to make an invasion of the United States uh, in the year 2020. Uh, So it is... uh, very important that we inform ourselves about the truth of these matters in the past so we can be better advised uh, and informed about our current uh, dilemmas right now. And all I can say is that uh, I'm so pleased that at least we are led by someone on our side, uh, despite the fact that the deep state has uh, uh, a tremendous effort, a desperate effort underway right now uh, to get into back into power, uh, so they can make their death strokes as they had planned, uh, and uh, therefore we must do all we can to make sure it doesn't happen.
0: Thank well, you for you know, having me. You're you're welcome. Uh, thank you for sharing with us. This is very powerful. Um, if I could, in, in this, we can cut this out. Here I have a question. Um, in your in your opinion. Do you think the the cabal, the deep state, the powers that be, um, and I, you can't really. Look, I've learned that you can't look at history and and not consider that for the things that have happened by construct, on purpose, somebody has to like hate you, you know, like that. The middle class. These things can't happen. Out of love, out of benevolence. I mean, they're they're constructed, and it comes from a dark place, in my opinion. Okay, but, uh, so, uh, no. all right, so if um, you know the, it just seems to me, and I understand they're. The, the deep state, the cabal, they're behind, you know, they're twenty years behind. I can completely get that and understand that. I mean they have an agenda and they've relentlessly worked to fulfill their agenda for the last century and even beyond. Um and it and so here's my question. It seems like here's my observation. It seems like in the last few years they have ratcheted up the uh, their agenda to fulfill their agendas. And then, you know, President Trump is in there, and I think that he's doing a lot of, uh, that maybe we can't see. I think there's a lot of prevention. There, they would The deep state would have made uh, greater advances had the 2016 election gone the other way. And so here's, <laughs> I'm probably going to get to my question. Do you think the deep state believes or sees that they're in a death row that i mean this is they've got to really ratchet it up to make their advances on their agenda um you know do they do they and not that you can be a spokesman for the deep state i guess wayne i'm looking for clarity or, or your opinion on
1: well you think- i think I, I i get the point of your question and oh. I, I i think i would actually have to disagree i if the 2016 election had gone the other way, I don't think they were planning to, uh, you know, take it out over, say, the next few decades uh, and take it easy on us. Uh, to the contrary, it appeared to me that all the signs were uh, that uh, they were ready uh, to make the death blows. Uh, the things that were being done uh, during the previous eight years and the eight years before that and the eight years before that, uh, they were ready. Uh, the coffins had been bought. Uh, the hollow nose bullets had been bought by an agency of our government. Uh, and the agency had recruited to have people in place and were ready to go. Uh, and all of those things are not done, uh, you know, with benevolence in mind. Uh, so uh, I called the other candidate in 2016, uh, the closer uh, because I, uh, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if her mindset had not been that she wanted to be the one uh, that at least um, was in charge when uh, the activists uh, on her opposition were deposed. Uh, when uh, the, any ability whatsoever was destroyed uh, for us to be able to actually mount a counterattack, um, and uh, uh, that is what I think is is been going on for the last three years. Uh, we were trying to get to the point of actually mounting a counterattack. I think the counterattack has been mounted uh, and is is underway. Um, Uh, They have certainly uh, on the surface appeared to have blunted it, uh, and it's not possible for me to say with any certainty how far the counterattack has gone. I'm inclined to think that it's succeeded much more than is yet publicly apparent, Uh, but we'll have to see uh, the proof of the pudding in order to be able to talk about that.
0: That's fair. Very fair. All right. Very good. Do you have any other comments for this episode?
1: I think that's all, but I certainly would say that uh, my opinion, my ability to express this information is uh, much exceeded by what I was able to do in writing uh, my book, The Fruits of Graft. Uh, I'd certainly recommend uh, for purchase. It, it's, uh, it's easier for me to read than it is to hear and remember. And uh, I think that may be true of others as well. But for posterity, whether you learn it or not, uh, your children and their children need this information. And uh, you ought to consider getting the information while it is available. $25 is what it's still selling for even including shipping. Uh, and it's a hardbound bound book uh, with, uh, with a real string binding um string sewn binding and so uh it's built to last so um get it while they're hot as they say and uh, i thank you for your attention to this subject
0: uh thank you wayne i completely agree there we'll put links in the bottom and all of every every time that that, that you share your time with us and speak there will be links to purchase the book Breach of Graph, and you should. You're exactly right. I mean, you should purchase a book for you, for your friends, your children. It should be required reading in America because this is a real history, documented history. It's not the created history or the narrative that was created to to have you believe uh, a lie or the untruth. This let is me the just truth.
1: mention one thing in regard to the price thing. Uh, a, a reader uh, sent me an email just within the past month. Um, from a website at Amazon uh, and it was at my book was advertised there a so-called new copy for $237 plus or something like that I'm not sure it was in right around that uh, figure and um, so there are resellers available but uh, go to my website classicalcapital.com is the place to go
0: perfect all right thank you Wayne have a great day and we'll thank you, talk James. next time